Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode with me, Stig Graham, a retired hospice and palliative care chaplain and Anglican priest, and my delightful colleague. I'm Jo Matlow, and I'm a humanist pastoral carer at Bradford Teaching Hospitals. And we're doubly delighted uh, today to have Letty Hawthorne with us. I say doubly because this is confession time. Confession (laughs) being good for the soul (laughs) and for the psyche. uh, Because this is our second attempt. We went through a whole podcast recording, except there wasn't a recording. I failed to press the record button. However... uh, Joe has reminded me several times uh, in advance of this, and Letty hasn't actually held up a notice, but she says she prepared a notice saying, are you recording? <laughs> so, so uh, yes, we are recording. And uh, Letty, lovely to see you again. And perhaps you can just give us a, a little bit of background of where you're at and what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Stig, and it's lovely to be with you and Joe again today. Um, I'm currently wellbeing coordinator at Teesside Hospice, which is a three-day-a-week post, and I came to that from a voluntary position as the interfaith chaplain there, which I started about a year ago now. Um, I'm an ordained One Spirit interfaith minister, and that is something that I have long wanted to work in and so was delighted finally to complete my training and be ordained um, in July 2021. So my post at the moment is um, in well-being in the broadest sense so it covers all dimensions of well-being for me that has to include spiritual well-being and that's what uh, has brought me to you today I think. Yeah so chaplaincy by another name perhaps and I think it's interesting that the hospice has chosen a different name for you, um, but a lot of the role will have some overlapping um, responsibilities and remit. Absolutely. And I, to, for me as well, um, training nurses and healthcare assistants in spirituality so that they can look after the spiritual needs of, of patients um, is, is core to my calling in life I suppose Mm -hmm. and bringing Mm -hmm. the the physical and emotional aspects to that as well um, Mm and so that I can help them look after themselves yeah Yeah, I really like that idea of us as enablers you know that we're there Mm. as role models to some extent but also to give people confidence Mm. to have some different sorts of conversations with people and be present with people in an addition a value-added way to the the regular caring that they do mm, absolutely yeah yeah it's also i i think a unique thing about chaplaincy spiritual pastoral caregivers whatever title we have that although we aspire to have a very high standard of professionalism and uh, a specific, if you like, job title, job description. In actual fact, it is one of the roles that everyone in healthcare, to some extent, is able to give. You know, any kind of act of compassion, I would argue, 
uh, is rooted in some kind of uh, spirituality, and even if it's purely philosophical, that someone has dignity, is worthy of respect, or whatever. So, no matter who you are, just offering somebody a cup of tea. Um, can, can be, be done a, with compassion, compassion yeah but t tell us a little bit more about the interfaith setup because it is something that's come up uh, a few times already in some of our uh, podcasts um mm -hmm. and, and some people haven't come across it before i should say i have and i've had uh, some excellent members of my team uh, back in the day um who were members of the interfaith uh, ministry community and uh, they were quite some of them were quite outstanding thank you yes i first came across one spirit interfaith foundation um about three four years ago it would be um when i was searching for a way forwards and no longer felt that i fitted or wanted to fit within a particular tradition I had been brought up in the Church of England, had had um, some time dipping into other aspects of Christianity and ended up finding the Religious Society of Friends and becoming a Quaker back in the 90s. And for a while that seemed to satisfy um, the need to be in a, in a broader setting for my, my own spiritual practice. But I felt confined by that in that it seemed to stop me, um, not necessarily other people would find this, but stopped me from really crossing bridges into other people's worlds and sitting with them. And I recognized that what I had brought with me was my own personal experience and a history and a cultural context, which could limit my outlook and could limit my sense of compassion for somebody so I wanted to explore that more deeply and see how I came out at the other end mm. and so um, discovered One Spirit um, which was founded originally back in the day it came out of the Holocaust it came out of a meeting of a rabbi and a priest who said we have to find a way for this never to happen again there must be another way to be. And so that set up an original interfaith ministry, which we've then seen in various transformations over the centuries, over the, sorry, over the decades. Um, and in the UK, it has become One Spirit Interfaith Foundation, which invites people of all faiths and none to take some time to educate themselves um, about their own inner journey, their own background, their history, and then to explore faith paths, the well-known major faith paths, religions, and also the lesser under well understood ones. So looking at earth-based traditions, looking at, um, you know, aspects of Sikhism and Hinduism, which we have perhaps seen in a one way, but now can interpret more broadly. Um, and then learning about ceremony, learning about ritual and how we can bring simple concepts of ceremony to many aspects of life. You know, the simple act of sitting together in silence or mm. lighting a candle or mm. pouring water. Um, and so that that's what it really rolled out for me was a, a, 
a broader, multi-textured, multi-coloured carpet um, for my path to to move through life. Mm. Yeah, mm. It, it's fascinating because obviously, as a, as an Anglican priest, I would want to. I I actually found the it worked the other way around for me. Because what I really value about the the Church of England uh, and its traditions, uh, which isn't often uh, un understood, is it's such a diverse church. We have so many different beliefs, and I would even say creeds, uh, in terms of the way they are interpreted and emphasised, and just this uh, idea that because it, it's the established church, in a political sense, I'm not entirely comfortable with that, but. Uh, because it's the we are the established church, we have a responsibility for everyone. And I suppose there's a, an element of that. You know, it, you can push it one way um, and, and think of it in terms of imposition, which would be uh, utterly inappropriate. Or you have this sense in which you've got to be prepared to open your door to everyone. Uh, and I think that's the, the tradition I enjoy. But again, that's the, the, the fascination of uh, different people can encounter similar kinds of stimulation and go in yeah. different where, directions. Where, where, just to come in there, Stig, where I'm wary of that mm. is the assumption that can be implicit in it mm. that everyone has all the equipment they need to be there for everybody. So, and I think what, what Let is saying is she wanted to have a bigger set of equipment, a bit wider knowledge mm. to be truly respectful to those traditions because Sikhs, for example, also have that ethos of being there for everyone. They are defenders of the faith and belief, whichever faith and belief. It's an active part of their mm. belief system that they are there for others and it's very respectful religion um, in those terms. So... What I've come across at times as a as a non-religious person is what I would call privilege, arrogance at times mm. in the assumption that you, because you're religious yourself, you've done your theology training. Obviously, I'm not talking about you, Stig, but, but mm. people assume that they have all the equipment. Mm. And what yeah. I see in Letty is someone who's gone out to get a wider set of tools, a wider knowledge to inform what she does. And I think that's so admirable. And you oh, have much yes. more knowledge than me, Letty. Um, I get my knowledge from people I work with, but you've actually gone and mm. sought that common ground very actively, which mm. I think is really amazing. Uh, yeah, I think, thank you for that. Um, I think I have developed a much deeper respect for all the world's religions and also um, a deeper respect for those who don't live with religion as part of their life and yet are clearly just as, if not more, spiritual. Because there's something about not having the confines of a faith to tell you, to prescribe to you, to give you a creed that means you have to find a way of plowing your own furrow mm. and developing an, an ethos, a way of being, um, which, which of course not all of us manage to do all of the time by any means. But when you don't have boundaries to fall back on, um, 
you know, there's there's just something very very powerful and and humbling about recognizing. You know, when I watch um, an animal with another animal, for example, one species with another species, mm. where supposedly one is going to kill the other and it doesn't, it rescues it. It does something mm. that is so completely, profoundly outside its mm. so so called you know nature that just makes me realize that there is this something greater than we can ever understand, yeah. which takes us out with science, takes us into a mystery that we each perhaps try to define in order to give us a context to talk about it. And perhaps mm. that's what it is, mm. you know, a common language. Yeah. yeah. And, and I appreciate what you said there about um, people who don't follow a religious creed having to have forged their own track. I mean, that very much resonates with the humanist, you know, that we, mm. our motto is think for yourself, but act for everybody. And we have to put a lot of individual thought into why we behave, what our values are, what our ethos is, because it's not given. Mm. And um, I mm. think you saying falling back on some boundaries for us, I can't speak for all humanists, for myself, I see that religion is quite often rule driven and um it's 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 in some ways an easier life if you follow rules because you know what you need to do but when you're having to decide your own rules your own ethics it it, it it's a um it's an individual path really yeah. 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 But again, I, I think we come back to this thing. It's about the human beings behind these things that drive um the it's our own personalities, our own needs that drive yeah. that. You see, because uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm trying to remember which archbishop it was now, and I can't, but he actually said that um, if when you're seeing the creed on a Sunday morning in church, that you can't find at least one thing to disagree with, then mm -hmm. you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. You know, now some people would be horrified at that, but you're, you're absolutely right, Joe. There are people who are you know, rule-driven, and therefore, if you cross one of the boundaries that Letty was talking about, you know, then you are outside, you are excluded. But actually, I think if you push that to its limit, then we're all inside the boundary. Uh, we've all got to somehow reach across boundaries mm. to, to each other and accept mm. each other for who we are. I, I suppose it's part of that uh, imagery that, that we use and I'm, I'm going to cheat here a little bit because I remember one of the things we talked about uh, that you introduced uh, last time you were talking a lot about walking with people mm. and I think that kind of dynamic approach is something I suspect the three of us quite like um, because the the trouble with rules is they are two-dimensional you know the, this is the barrier but actually if you're walking with someone you don't know where you're going to end up you can go up as well as down as well as left or right or whatever and um and find yourself in places you didn't uh, imagine and i seem to remember you you talked about shamanism and as well mm. uh, letty in that mm. sense is yeah that absolutely i i yeah i i did and it was you know, when I first discovered shamanism, it was through uh, academic learning. It was my first year at university and it, uh, it, it cropped up in social anthropology. 
and it was all very um it was about you know a primitive tribe and a medicine man and mm. doing these you know magical things it was very dark and and but there was something just tapping me on the mm. shoulder about it that just said there's something else here there's something bigger than this this isn't an isolated thing that happens in uh you know um far distant lands and then i came across the work of gabrielle roth the urban shaman and gradually over the years had different encounters with people a chaplain at university of edinburgh who's also a shamanic practitioner and and really i suppose for me um i wouldn't call myself a, a shaman or a shaman I would just call myself somebody who has discovered something in that tradition that speaks to me about the capacity we have to hold space with somebody without needing to know anything more about them, but allowing ourselves to be drawn into their story, into their um their, their space and mm. I I had to you know I'm a I'm a Reiki practitioner as well and I, I often find these these things um sometimes tripping over one another mm. I'm not quite sure who I am but it doesn't matter it, it's the being present with somebody and uh, I think I used this phrase before but it, which just has stayed with me strongly about rubbing bones with somebody mm. um and and just just yeah everything else melting away and in that moment there is no judgment there are no answers um you know sometimes we are simply sitting in the dark with that person yeah yeah actually yeah. you saying that about darkness i think that was another thing that struck me when we had the conversation before was about your metaphor of light and i think you talked about guiding souls towards the light at one point i don't know if you'd want to say a little bit more about that so I suppose I find myself drawn to the idea that when we when we die, when we approach death, so many people who have had encounters, near encounters and come back, have had this experience of there being something, some form of light. And it's it's such a story of people's journeys through life that we seek the light and that physically, literally, uh, if you're in the dark and in the darkest place in a, in a geographical sense, like on the top of the moors, I might be walking. I'm looking for something light that just gives me a sense of where I'm going. So, of course, when we take that onto a philosophical realm, um, the, the realm of the imagination, there is that in our, in our life's journey of trying to find our way and describing that as, as finding the light. Mm. And there's, there's something about the softness, uh, you know, that can also be harshness. And so when I'm think, thinking about guiding somebody towards the light, it's not my light or even the light. I suppose what I want to say, I'm, I'm guiding you towards what is your light mm. and what is lightness for you? What, mm. what, what yeah. brings you yeah. hope? What brings you meaning? And so, so it's that, that sense yeah. of, the aha moment, the light bulb moment, when yeah. we go, that's what I need to do, or this is what mm. I need to lay down. And I've literally had an experience of sitting with somebody who kept just moving their hand across their body, moving something from one space to another. And they were beyond speech by this point. 
but they were still, you know, obviously strongly conscious enough to make this movement. And I just tried to tune in with what was going on there. And it was laying something down. It was something about something just needs to be shifted. Mm. And I just, I just worked with them on that. And then suddenly there was just this almost um, audible sigh, but there wasn't, but a sense mm. of a sigh in the yeah. space, yeah. Mm. which was something about the light. It was something about that, that peace and, mm. and calm and light. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, yeah. no, I love that idea of, of light because I think light also is about feeling lighter, isn't it? Yes. And, and uh, I think also words to do with enlightenment and revelation and, and those sort of things don't necessarily have to sit in a religious context no, because no. I am enlightened all the time. I talk to a patient sometimes and I feel increased, incredibly enlightened by their wisdom, by their perspective. So I think the the concept, the metaphor of light is quite a useful one for all of us to use. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think particularly in that sense uh, that Letty mentioned about light does enable you to see. So mm. you have a new understanding. Um, but to, to, to play the cause of darkness I, i'm someone who really enjoys sitting in the dark <laughs> you know i like the uh i like yeah the warmth the quiet i don't know i don't know that i would go big on safety and security but mm. i do i do find uh, uh, a comfort and uh, i find it really irritating when people come and switch the light on <laughs> but i'm enjoying yes, the darkness yes. thank you very much <laughs> you know but and that's yes and that's interesting because it, it reminds me that um a lot of the training that that i underwent with one spirit took me into looking at my own shadow Mm. and looking at you know the, the the dark areas in that sense as well and that that was something that I had been terrified of mm. um and and actually when I work with people who are have just received a diagnosis um that that means that they know that they're not going to, to live for many months longer when somebody is approaching those last few days and hours there is something about needing to come to a sense of sense of peace, a sense of letting go of any arguments around our our shadow sides, around the the, yes. the elements that perhaps we have been uncomfortable with, that we don't need to. And as you say, there's nothing wrong with sitting in the dark. It's not that we're saying that everything has to be bright and well lit and that we have to always be looking for the answers. Sometimes mm. it's really good to just acknowledge the um, the mystery and the joy of the unknown and the unknowing and unknowable. And that is perhaps something around that that darkness, not being not seeing clearly, and that there's, mm. there's a real beauty there too. Yeah, there's something actually about opening up the other senses uh, that you triggered in my my thinking. There, you know, we're so focused on on the light, but you know, I, I mentioned the warmth, the tactileness, uh, mm. the sound. Um, if I'm just listening to something, I will often close my eyes and I'm not unusual in that uh, yeah. I think that's why a lot of people close their eyes when I'm preaching I'd like to think mm. that anyway <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah I think it opens up sometimes um, other possibilities yeah. other realms that we we don't necessarily expect mm. 
Yeah, what, yeah. What, what I'm struck by, Letty, while we're talking is you have a, a real spiritual literacy in the way that you speak. You have, you have lots of different ways of talking about um, people's essence or whatever we call it, connecting with people, which must come, I think, from your, the breadth of your own exploration of your own spirituality. And personally, if I was having someone in a chaplain role and I was poorly, you're the sort of person I would want because I would yeah. feel confident that we could explore my agenda, my thoughts without yeah. your overlay. So Ooh. leading on from that, I'm wondering how you feel your way of working fits in the wider context of chaplaincy as it's perceived in the UK. I suppose I see myself um, as a bit of a thorn in the side of many um, institutions. And I, and I recognise now, finally, at the age of 53, that that's just how it is. And there's a certain level of living with that discomfiture. Um, I see that a lot of healthcare chaplaincy is moving into a more multidimensional um, mm. way of being and that's great I see that individual hospices and areas where there is palliative care are recognizing the need to broaden their offer and a lot of that is coming down to changing the name and changing the culture alongside that and so there's some toing and froing as they tussle with that so very often now we're seeing spiritual care leads. We're seeing people who are heading up spiritual, pastoral and religious uh, care services. Mm. Um, and we're seeing a, a rejection by a number of people of the term chaplain. Mm. But equally, there are strong defenders of the term chaplain and of maintaining a religious context for chaplaincy. And I can understand all the arguments. That's one of my challenges in life is I really can understand the various arguments, which leads me to just sit in a bit of a, a tiz a lot of the time with this. Because I am aware that nurses are required to understand spirituality so that they can care for the spiritual needs of their patients. But I think that is a huge ask when there isn't really enough time yeah. available to be given through training and through practice um, to, to cover that. And it kind of also demeans those of us who have spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of finance in training specifically to provide mm. that care. Yeah. So I, I see that. So I see that there's that whole side on, on the, the medical side um, and I also see there is an issue when it comes to having a, a board of healthcare chaplains that only recognises certain traditions and certain contexts within which somebody can be a healthcare chaplain. Yeah. And that currently excludes me. Mm. Um, and similarly, the College of Healthcare Chaplains, which follows the UK board, and I listen to the podcast where... You spoke to somebody who is involved in both the College of Healthcare Chaplains and the UK board and stands behind their current 
view on this, um, which which is a real sorrow for me. Mm. Um, and yet, and yet, I do understand the need to have clear regulations and the need to have an expectation of certain standards being met and being held by all individuals yeah. who are working as healthcare chaplains mm. or spiritual care leads. Yeah. Yeah. And it, how do you do that? Yeah. And it picks up a little on what Joe was saying as well, you know, that um, you, you get different people coming from different perspectives within those religions. And um, as I've said many times, I, I would rather have had my friend Abbas uh, as a Muslim talking things through with me because we were of such a like mind in terms of openness and personal theology and that if you encounter someone who is religious who is boundary you know held constrained um you're not going to get very far if they're if you're feeling that you are being judged and evaluated so we want people who are spiritually literate rather than just religiously literate mm -hmm. or driven by intellect rather than by spirit and compassion. It's that mm -hmm. reaching out as human beings mm -hmm. uh, to each other that, you know, do you care? <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you really mm -hmm. care? Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, that it's very, very difficult to find any single way um, or group of ways that is going to measure that well in each person. Yes. You can put, you know, I, I can think of numerous trainings I've, I've delivered and that I've participated in over the years. And I would say, you know, you get, you know, maybe on a good day, 75% um, of people who think absolutely fine, yep, they should go ahead and do that. Mm. But out of that 75%, you know, it's a minority who go, they've got it. They've mm. absolutely got all of these aspects. They've got the spiritual intelligence, the emotional intelligence. Yep. They've got yep. enough academic understanding that they can mm. read the paperwork necessary. You know, they're bringing everything we mm. need to mm. this. Yes, yeah. But that, that, that is rare. And, and how do you really measure that? You certainly yeah. can't do it through a qualification, a letter from your religion mm. um and uh, and a disclosure yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but also i think the other part of that letty is how do we bring people into these roles because they may be latent skills that they don't know they have particularly yeah. if you come from a religion which is quite male dominated in the hierarchy and you it needs to yes. be someone from the hierarchy who comes in to represent the religion and there might be loads of fantastic women who could be coming in so so I also have an interest in how we bring people and nurture people into these roles from all different walks of life yeah. actually from all ages as well yeah. because yeah. there's some incredibly wise younger people who've yeah. had a life journey which has brought them to a point where they have deep spiritual knowledge mm. and and very intuitive skills with people be great to have some younger people as yeah. well doing this with us. Yes, definitely, definitely. But I, I just want to go back to something else that he said as well when you described yourself as a as a thorn. I suspect that there's many people um, in in chaplaincy at times have that kind of self doubt or you know angst. Uh, you know, am I really being understood? 
uh, here, but I, I think I really want to say that you are not a thorn, you are a rose. Mm. And I also want <laughs> to say, Joe, that I think um, what you've done up in, in Bradford, um, you know, with the, with the team there is very much more the work of a rose, even though quite clearly some people perceive it as a thorn. Um, but it, it grew out of that kind of difficulty. Um, and I think, I suppose to pick up on another meme that, that we, we touched on, perhaps we tried to see it reading with the, the light, but we need another mechanism. Perhaps we need to sniff the scent of the rose rather than somehow trying to mark it all up uh, in the optical spectrum. Just mm -hmm. rely on our sense of smell. Sniff, sniff out good chaplains. <laughs> well, yeah. perhaps, perhaps that's a good point to finish because I think we've, we've been on a really interesting journey with you there, Letty. Really, yeah. really helpful to a lot of people. You've opened all sorts of different avenues for people to think about there. So we really, really welcome that conversation and, and we'll have you back, no doubt, in the future again, perhaps no to doubt. talk about another aspect of the work that we're all trying to do. So yeah. thank you again. So, yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you, Letty. That, that's been brilliant. But if anyone has been uh, particularly moved or even disagrees, do get Ooh. in touch. The uh, email address is openupchap at gmail.com. So do uh, get in touch. and we can have you on. We can have a free and frank discussion. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to probe the darkness. Okay then. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. Right. Thank you, Joe. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye.